0: Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verses 26 through 28. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, "'Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, "'and have dominion over the fish of the sea, "'over the birds of the heavens, "'and over every living thing that moves on the earth.'" Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verses 15 through 18, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verses 23 through 25. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord, you may be seated.
1: Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. That reader of the text did a wonderful job this morning. If I do say so myself, I think I know her. She did a great job. Hey, we only covered 16 verses of about 60 verses of those two chapters. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're looking at kind of the high points in these two chapters, maybe a little too ambitious. This is (laughs) a lot of information we're looking at, but I think it's really helpful. Greatest story ever told, a biblical worldview, creation, a purpose. That's what we're looking at this morning. Also, grab your sermon notes out, you can follow along. The Bible is not a bunch of stories about what we must do to be right with God. A lot of times people misunderstand the the Bible and they read it almost like it's Aesop's Fables, boys and girls. We're going to teach you some morals so that you can be good little children and earn God's blessing. That's not how we do it. You can't earn God's blessing. You can't achieve it, but you can receive it by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so, the, the Bible's not written so that you can figure out what you must do to be right with God. It's not a bunch of stories that kind of help you to do that. Uh, all the stories are pointing to one big story. There's one storyline throughout the Bible. The Bible is a single story about what God has done to make us right with Him. So, it's not about what you must do, but what has been done for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing you got to keep that in order because you you become religious and the book becomes a book of morals, and that's not what it's all about. It's really to reveal to us what God has done for us so that we can have a right relationship with God. Here's the thesis statement for this whole series. The thesis statement is this, the Bible is the greatest story ever told. It is a love story of creation. So we're going to talk about this morning, next weekend, a fall, what's gone wrong What's the big problem? Why do we struggle so much, the fall? But God's glorious redemption and restoration. And at the center of the story, there is a baby upon whom everything would depend. Now here's the storyline. Storyline, four words, easy to remember. If you're a believer, you need to know this storyline. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Someone asks you, hey, what's the Bible all about? creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Now, everybody has a worldview. Not everybody has a biblical worldview. That's that's different. You need to have a biblical worldview. Your biblical worldview is your interpretive grid. It's not the events of your life, but it's your interpretive grid of those events. It's your evaluation. It's your biblical evaluation of the events that determine how you think, feel, and behave in response to those events. That's why biblical worldview is so, so critical in our lives, that we're responding to life and doing life in a manner that is consistent with what God has designed according to His purpose for our life. And, and so you need to have that creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and, and everybody has a, has a worldview that would answer the basic questions like, why are we here, creation, purpose, so what's gone wrong? Fall. Problem. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, so what's the solution? Redemption through Jesus Christ. What's, how do we fix this? And then what kind of a future do we have? What does God have in store for us? That's the future. Restoration. So you need to remember that. So let's, let's do a pop quiz time right now, okay? You guys ready for this? Okay, so turn to the person next to you and see if they can remember the four words that represent the storyline of the Bible real quick. And if you want to throw in there the questions that they each answer, you can do that for extra points, okay? You guys want some extra points? So go ahead and do that real quick. Okay, do you guys get it? Everybody, did the person next to you know it? You guys know it? Okay, yep, yep, yep. Good, good, good. So Russ did an outstanding job laying the foundation for us this last weekend. And, and so the idea here is that it's critical to your living a Christian life that you have a biblical worldview. In fact, he made it very clear through Matthew 7, 24 through 27, which is our intro video is based on that if you hear God's word and not just hear it but apply it to your life, In this relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're building your life on rock, the rock of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and when, not if the storms, but when the storms come, your house, your life will still be standing. I want my life to be rock solid. I want your life to be rock solid, but it comes from a biblical worldview, hearing and obeying God's Word, living it out in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Otherwise, if you just hear it and you don't apply it, you're building your life on sand. The storms will take you down. It's just a matter of time. And so, important stuff. Now, we're talking about creation, the first part of this biblical worldview. And look in your sermon notes here. And here's here's a couple options here. Are we the product of a cosmic accident? Cosmic accident, random chance, unlimited time, evolutionary process or the object of a divine designer's delight. I choose the second of those two choices. Let me throw another choice in there. There's a third choice. How about this? Are we the product of alien experiment? Hmm. There's a number of atheists that actually believe that. I, I just find that really fascinating and really dumb. But anyway. Uh, Other than that, (laughs) we're not going to put that as an option, okay? We're going to throw that one out. The two options, evolutionary process or divine design, a divine designer's delight. Now, if we came from insignificance, now we're talking this whole idea of cosmic accident, which every philosopher would say, okay, if that's true, if we came from insignificance, we we climbed out of the slime and grew arms, legs, and eyes, and ears, and became this very complex person that we are, uh, came kind of crawled out of the swamp, so to speak, if we came from insignificance, our origin, and we are going to insignificance, in other words, we, when we die, we become warm food, just dirt, and then eventually the sun will burn out. Then have enough guts, most philosophers, atheist philosophers say, have enough guts to admit everything in between, origin and destiny, is a big zero. It's insignificant. You can come up with your own purpose for a season, but then you're going to die, and this all goes away anyway, so what's the point? And by the way, there's a whole book in the Old Testament that writes about this, uh, the emptiness of, of that idea of not having a God. Anybody know what that book is? Ecclesiastes, man, that's right, you guys nailed it. So Ecclesiastes, Solomon, really wise man, he did some dumb stuff too, but, uh, but Ecclesiastes, it says in his book, it's in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. 29 times he uses this idea under the sun, which means apart from God, without God. Under the sun, life under the sun, apart from God. And then he uses another word, depending on the translation that you use, it's vanities upon vanities, or meaningless, or empty. Uh, 29 times he uses that word meaningless, or no, 38 times. 29 times under the sun, so life under the sun, apart from God, is meaningless 38 times. Here's what he's saying. Life without God is a wild goose chase without the goose.. <laughs> People are running around.. <laughs> For what? That's what he said. It's insane. It's meaningless. Now, I believe the second here, so, but if we are here by divine design, then it only makes sense than when we are faithful to the designer purpose. We will flourish. <laughs> I love that. We will. You will. You'll flourish. When you live your life according to God's design, you're going to flourish. You're going to be free unlike you've ever been before. You're going to be fulfilled. Oh, my goodness, you're going to experience success in your life, a fruitfulness in your life that otherwise you could not find that any place else other than through… Your Creator. Now, here's where we're going with the study. So these first two chapters really help us with our biblical worldview. What is true about God, creation, people, and marriage? That's where we're headed. You guys ready? You better buckle your seatbelts. We're coming after this pretty hard and fast, okay? There's a lot of stuff here that we need to, to work through. I'll try to keep the pace going pretty fast. If from time to time I get too fast, just raise your hand and say, hey, could you slow down a little bit, please? Okay, you already got your hand up. Okay, it's too early. Okay, I haven't started going yet. Okay, so here we go. Let's, let me begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. So, Father, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We love spending time with you. We love engaging and encountering you. We love being transformed by you. We know that life is meaningless apart from you. And therefore, our hearts are filled with gratitude that we are objects. We are objects of your brilliant and beautiful design and delight. You created us by your pleasure for your purpose. Teach us what it means to be faithful to that purpose, that design, so that we can truly flourish in every aspect of our lives for our joy, your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said amen so what is true about god keep your bible open you can refer back as i'll be making reference to various verses here as we fill in the blanks so here's your first fill in the blank god is eternal god has eternally existed god has eternally existed immediately your brain should explode right now just like what yeah that's that's we have puny brains we have small brains we're finite people god's eternal He's, just, he's a mystery, he's beyond our understanding and ability to grasp, God has eternally existed. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word beginning here is the point in time when something starts, so the something is the heavens and the earth, but God existed before that beginning because he's always existed. God has no beginning. What? Wow. He is the uncreated creator. Listen to what Psalm ninety one through two says, "'Lord, you have been our dwelling place "'in all generations before the mountains "'were brought forth, or even you had formed "'the earth and the world from everlasting "'to everlasting, you are God.'" Psalm 93, two, "'Your throne is established "'from of old, you are from everlasting.'" That was amazing, Now, the Bible does not make elaborate arguments for the existence of God. I mean, did you notice how the Bible begins? In the beginning, God. Deal with it. Okay? Just like, come on. He exists. So it doesn't give us elaborate arguments for the existence of God, but we know there is a God not by human speculation, but by divine revelation. Now, Everybody that's taken our DB Life class, which I teach, I love teaching that class, you should know the answer to this. If someone comes up to you and says, well, how do we know there is a God? Your answer, because he's revealed himself to us. And then just leave it at that and see if they ask the next question like, okay, okay, so how has he revealed himself to us? So you guys should know that answer. So we know it by divine revelation because, why? Because he's revealed himself to us. How has he revealed himself to us? What are some of the ways that he reveals himself to us? Each and every day, Creation, someone say creation, you guys think of creation? Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, this guy's proclaim the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech. Every day, God's speaking to us, he exists through creation, but then we also have our conscience, a sense of right and wrong, a sense of justice. Why, do we, why are we in turmoil when we see, turmoil when we see un, unjust, injustice? I, I, don't, I didn't say that right, did I? Injustice, Yeah, when we see that, when we see something not going right, we say, hey, that's not right. Why is that? Because we're image bearers of God, we have a sense of right and wrong within us, so we got conscience, and we also have, what's so we got, creation conscience, and oh, 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 you guys know this, number one bestseller of all times every year, number one bestseller of all times. God wrote a book. How do we know I exist? He wrote a book. Have you read it lately? Pretty important stuff. In fact, what's interesting about God's book tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. The very words of God. The very words He speaks to us through, through His book. It tells us in 4.12 of Hebrews, it's alive and powerful. It's the very presence of God. So creation, conscience, commandments. Okay, you gotta get this. The ultimate revelation of God, that there is a God. You guys know what it is? We, we celebrate it right, right during this time of the year. We celebrate. Anybody? What is it? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know there's a God? How about this one? He showed up here. He came as a baby born in Bethlehem, born to live the life we should have lived, die the death we should have died. So plenty of evidence for any thinking person. God reveals Himself to us through creation, conscience, commandments, Christ, Psalm 19, Romans one through three, chapters one through three. Absolutely amazing and uh, the Bible has a special name for those who choose to deny the existence of God. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know this special name that the Bible gives someone who denies the existence of God. Real quick, see if they know the answer to that question. Okay, what what is that name? Anybody? What'd you say to me? You said, that was rude of you, Ken. (laughs) Fool. Yeah, the Bible says, I didn't say it, the Bible said it. You weren't saying it to me either, I know that. But the Bible, the name is Fool, Psalm 14, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Isn't that interesting? So that's the first one. So God has eternally existed. Here's the next one. Okay, your your brain's going to explode again right here. This is part of the mystery of God. God is triune. And when you think of triune, always think of love. And so Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, where is this idea of the Trinity? Because I know that you Christians, you guys believe in this Trinity thing. But where's that in the Bible? How about the first chapter? (laughs) How about the first three verses? Look at what it says. In the beginning, God, the word God there is Elohim, Elohim means it's plural, it means literally divine ones. So you get the idea of the Trinity right in the first few words. In the beginning God, Elohim, plural, divine ones, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is beautiful imagery here, the image, Imagery is of a mother bird fluttering over her young is the picture that God is painting for us through this poetry that he's giving us here in the first chapter. Very intimate, very loving image. we got, we got God the Father, we have the Spirit, but where's Jesus? Verse 3, and God said... Let there be light, and there was light. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's the Word right here. And, and so we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit uh, tells us in Genesis 1:26, later on in this chapter, let us, who's the us? Make man in our image after our likeness. That's the triune God. Triune God. So the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God, and this one God is three equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So here's how you want to say it when someone asks you, what's this idea of the Trinity? God is one in essence, three in person. We, don't, we can't even comprehend that. It's hard for us to fully understand and yet it's a it's a biblical doctrine. And uh, and so if you want reference in the New Testament, Matthew three, sixteen through seventeen, at Jesus' baptism, we see that. We see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We also see it in the Great Commission in this baptizing them in the name the singular name of the father son holy spirit one in essence three in person now difficult or not difficult or not the idea of the trinity turns out to be vitally important because it tells us that god has been experiencing mutually self-giving loving community from all Eternity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, giving glory to one another. Glory is a word that means rejoicing in, celebrating, adoring, enjoying one another for all eternity. The universe was created out of love, joy, and relationship. And if you want to really get a glimpse into this interaction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can read what Jesus says in the upper room discourse when he's in that intimate conversation with his disciples found in John chapters 14 through 17. And in that, he talks about the glory that the Father, Son, Spirit are giving to one another, and they've been doing this for all eternity. It is breathtaking. It's out of this world. Now, why is this so important to know this? It's because if God is unipersonal, He's not a triune God, but He's unipersonal, then He's not a God of love until He actually created us. He's a God of power because He created us. He's not a God of love until He created us. And so, therefore, He needed us for relationship, love, and joy, but He did not need us. That's not true. He had all the love, relationship, and joy He would ever need in the Godhead, in the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so therefore, the essence of reality is not power. The essence of reality is love, it's relationship. Now that's, that's critical to our biblical worldview and understanding that is that it's telling us that, that relationships are a priority over achievements. Listen to me. I know we live in a culture today that makes achievements and accomplishments and the acquisition of stuff over and above, even to the exclusion sometimes, and even in the trampling on of relationships. That is not true. And so what we need to keep in mind, the universe was created out of love, joy, and relationship. So that's really helping us to see the priority of relationships over achievement. Out of love and relationships come achievements. The only really significant achievements are those that enrich the life of community. I mean, hey, listen, you guys know this. No one on their deathbed wishes they had worked more overtime. They don't. They don't. They, no one on their deathbed says, "I wish I would achieved, accomplished, acquired more stuff." No, you don't. Why? Because we're image bearers of God. So the essence of of reality is relationship. No, no, what are you thinking about on your deathbed? You're thinking about what you should be thinking about, your faith with God, your relationship with family and friends because that's what's most important. Always is, always has been. And so that's why achievements and accomplishments are secondary to that. And we tend to confuse that, but that's part of having an understanding of a biblical world view. In fact, it tells us in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. The essence of God is love. Now this is what's absolutely fascinating. And and I want to I to throw this in here so that you understand this. So think about from all eternity this glory, this self-giving love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in John 159, Jesus tells his disciples, also telling us that as the Father has loved me, so I love you, abide in my love. And you think, what? The same love that he loves you with, you're loving us with? Yeah, absolutely. But then he takes it even a step further in John chapter 17. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus, a very profound prayer. It's intimacy between him and the Father. And the disciples are listening in, and John's writing it down, and so we have it right there in John chapter 17. It's just breathtaking. And this is what he says here. Jesus says, the glory that you have given to me, I'm giving to them. All the rejoicing and delighting in and adoring that I've received, I'm giving it to them. They can now experience that. I'm drawing them in to experience this. And he even goes on, he says, you love them as you love me. That's mind-blowing, that level of adoration and affirmation and glory, honor from God to experience that. So here's what you need to know, and this is part of a biblical worldview. God didn't create us to get joy, love, relationship from us, but to give joy, love, relationship to us. To draw us in, to have relationship. The essence of God is all about love and relationship. And out of that comes this unbelievable joy, the pleasure that we find in knowing Him. And then we're able to offer that to others. Absolutely beautiful. Okay, here's the here's the so, so in understanding all that. So when you look at these first two characteristics of God, what is true about God he's et- He eternally exists and then God is triune. You could say that God is powerful and He's personal. He's, he's great, indescribably great and unimaginably good. He's transcendent, He's imminent, He's He's mighty, He's merciful. So you gotta keep those two characteristics. He's like, He's been around forever, He's brilliant, He's smart, and yet He's unbelievably loving and therefore, it's just natural. Here's your next fill-in-the-blank. We want to order our life according to His purpose. God is creator. He has a design. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created here, baras, is the Hebrew word, B-A-R-A, means to create out of nothing. I think your brain just exploded just right then. He created out of what? Nothing. He created out of nothing. You see, man can only fashion or form things out of existing material. God creates out of nothing. I don't know if you know these, as we looked at all these these characteristics of God, (laughs) it's beyond our comprehension. Beautiful, amazing, breathtaking, overwhelming. He's a mystery in so many different ways. I love it. And so God is creator. Verse 2, Now you've you got to understand this. This is really important for you to get here. So the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But then in verses 3 through 29, nine times it says this, and God said. God's Word brings orderliness and light. Track with me here. you got to get this. you got to understand this. So what we could say is that sin, living outside of God's design, living outside of God's Word, unleashes forces of chaos and darkness, and that's exactly what we have going on on our planet currently because mankind is rejecting God and wanting to live their life according to their own purpose and design or however they want to make it up. And it unleashes the forces of chaos and darkness. It violates the very fabric of God's design and, and unravels God's creation. Now, I know you guys, some of you aren't going to believe this. I got to tell you anyway. I don't want to boast. I, I kind of I want to boast a little bit. But yep, that's right. I fixed my own, very own microwave. I fixed it. Yeah, some of you are going, what? No way. Because you guys remember the story this last summer? I tried to fix my clothes dryer. You guys remember the story? It didn't go well, okay? And the more money I poured into it, the more time I poured into it, the more frustrated I got because there was way too many components. Finally, I cut to the chase, uh, cut my losses, just bought a new one. And I was thinking about it doing this time because our, our microwave went out, and I go, ah. I don't want to mess with it, I don't want to have, because I don't want to get into this debt, you know, this deep hole of money and time. And so we just let it go for a while, and my brother-in-law and sister loaned us a microwave for a while, and then I started thinking, you know what, I started calculating how much it was going to cost for me to get a new one, and get it installed, I go, ah, I'm going to try. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, I don't want to spend the money. So I got my ball-peen hammer out, and I got my screwdriver Yeah. hey, don't laugh. And I took that screwdriver and pointed it right into the panel, and I drove, drove that screwdriver right in there, and then I moved it around like that, and it started working right away. How many believe that? Show of hands. Nobody? There was two guys in the service, last service, that believed that. I sold them some land in Florida. No, that's dumb, isn't it? That sounds ridiculous. Why would you even say that? Why would anybody do that? Nobody would do that in their right mind. Why? Because there is a design to that microwave because it was created by a designer. So I got to figure out what's the design here so I can figure out what's wrong with it. So what did I do? I went to YouTube. That's what I went. And on YouTube, there's like a billion guys out there, not a billion, but there's a lot of guys out there that have already fixed the same, the same microwave. I found out, hey, I've got this microwave and I looked on there, and sure enough, a guy walked me through the process step by step. And it was good, because there were some things in there that if I would've got in there and started digging into it, I'd have probably broke it, okay, because that's just common. I do that, okay? It's like, how does this come up? I'll get it out of there. Unfortunately, fortunately, the guy said, no. Be gentle, lift it up and then pull it out. Oh, that works, because it's according to the design. So I got that and got the components. It was the part of the switches, there's like three, and uh, got it from Amazon, next day delivery, put them in, installed it, and the thing still didn't work. (laughs) Hey, don't laugh, that hurts. That's offensive, and it didn't work, it didn't work, so I go, okay, okay, I'm not giving up, I'm not gonna give up, and so I went back online, YouTube, and there was a guy in there who says, yeah, if it doesn't work, maybe it's a fuse. Anybody thinking fuse, some of you guys that are more mechanical? Okay, where were you? And, uh, and so, so I went on there, and I ordered a fuse, Amazon, next day delivery, put it in there, and bam, it works! Thank you very much. I saved me some money, yeah. praise God. And so, uh, and so what's fascinating about this, and the reason why I say that is because there's a design and you need to fix it according to its design because there is a designer. It's, it's actually called the teleological argument for the existence of God. Telos means design. I mean, there's design all around us. You, you are an incredible design. The heavens and earth are incredible design. There's a design, and so immediately you gotta think, ah, if there's a design, there's gotta be a designer. And so it's important to operate and to fix it according to the designer. You go back to the creator, go, hey, how is this supposed to work? And sure enough, I figured that out, and it worked fine. So you fix your microwave and even use it according to its design. I heard a number of years ago, maybe you've heard this story, a woman in Sun City washed her poodle and then put it in the microwave to dry it. Anybody familiar with that story? Anybody hear that story? Yeah, Pastor Mark uh, Young uh, said in staff, the poodle became a puddle. (laughs) That's (laughs) it. That's a bad dad joke, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. Yeah, it was, that's, that was a good one, but, but the, the, it was quite the mess to clean up in the microwave. And so why do I say that? Because you're gonna be eating lunch really soon, and I just wanted to help you to cut back on the intake of your, I'm kidding. No, I'm wanting you to understand that not only how you fix a microwave, how you use a microwave needs to be consistent with its creator. You don't put poodles, in microwaves. Let me, let me apply it to our lives in other ways here. For instance, a doctor says you need to change your diet, sleep, start sleeping more, and get good exercise. He doesn't have to fine you or put you in prison. You are violating the design of your physical being. The consequences are natural. You're going to have a heart attack. You will face the consequences of going against your design. Here's another one. God says, have no other gods before me or, or put me at the center of your life. He doesn't have to strike us with lightning. He doesn't do that. No, the consequences are natural. If you put fortune and fame at the center of your life, your body will break down from overwork. Your family will break down because of neglect. You may have a legal breakdown because you lie to save your reputation or whatever it might be. You are unleashing the forces of chaos and darkness into your life. So, just, um, so here's my logic. If, if a God this powerful and this personal has designed my life, oh my goodness, I'm going to do everything I can to live according to His purpose and design. Does that make sense to you? So I'm just like, yeah, woo! what does this word say? I'm obeying it. I'm all in. And and, and really, that's all I try to do every week is try to help you to realign your life with God's design, His work, so that you can flourish. So God's design, God's purpose for us comes from His infinite wisdom and perfect love. And so the more you live your life according to God's purpose, His design, His word, in a general way, and also individually, the more you will flourish in life. Now, even if you have messed things up in your life, not living according to God's design, unleashing chaos and darkness into your life, guess what? Good news for you. In His greatness, He can deliver us, and in His goodness, He wants to deliver us. Now, let me, before I move on, let me just say this. All of these, these three characteristics we're looking at as it relates to what is God all about what is god like what was it yeah what is what is true about god if reading the bible as you as we look at these if reading the bible doesn't lead you to awe and wonder of the mystery of god then you haven't read the bible and you haven't encountered the god of the bible The mystery of God is not something to be conquered, but to be celebrated. I love this quote, came across a few years ago. A God small enough to be understood would not be big enough to be worshiped. I'm just overwhelmed when I study God's word as I get to know this God who's powerful and he's personal. He's mighty and he's merciful. He's great and he's good. I can have relationship with him and you can too. So what is true about creation? Here's your next fill in the blank, it is good, seven times, he says, each part of this creation, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, seven times, the seventh time, verse 31, after creating uh, the man and the woman, he says, he looks at all of it, he says, it is very good. This word good, it means it is pleasurable, enjoyable, makes him happy. So here, I'm going to have you do this, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Um, What is your favorite holiday treat or sweet? What is your favorite holiday treat or sweet? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Well, some of you must have quite the list of uh, holiday. As you guys are talking a lot. There's a lot of discussion. I was just like, ah, pumpkin pie, pecan pie. How many would say from, from Thanksgiving all the way to the end of the year, it's been the pedal to the metal in devouring as many sweets and treats you can do? It's like, woo! I'll do I'll diet after the first of the year. Yeah, right on. Woo! So I was doing that, and then this last week I had to start pumping the brakes. The brakes weren't working, and then finally got the brakes to work. And I was like, I got to knock it off because I was eating way too many uh, things like pumpkin pie and pecan pie and and pumpkin rolls and just all that sweet stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got to pump the brakes, and so I kind of slowed down a little bit, doing better, doing better. But part of it is because my favorite thing that's coming up is Christmas, and my wife makes the most delicious homemade. Sweet rolls, fresh out of the oven, lavished with frosting. The frosting soaks down into all the crevices. I grab one of those, maybe two of those. I devour it while they're right out of the oven. I chase it with strong coffee with a splash of half and half. I'm flying high. So I'm, I'm pumping the brakes right now, so that I can experience a little bit more of that here, uh, coming up. So. Uh, just, uh, just, it's good stuff. I'm just telling you. So here's my, here's why I'm, I'm saying all this craziness is uh, why is delicious food, great music, favorite vacation spots, breathtaking sunsets, parting with family and friends so appealing to us? Why do we like that? Why is that? Because we are image bearers of God, and we have the same intrinsic value for beauty and pleasure in created things that He has I mean when he's looking at crazy, he's going, that's good. Oh my goodness, that's pleasure. We do the same thing. It's like, oh yeah. First Timothy 4, 4 through 5, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So that's our parameter. I mean, we can certainly use the created things outside of that, but that's our parameter right there, made holy by the Word of God in prayer. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, check this out, this is good, who richly provides us with homemade sweet rolls lavished with (laughs) frosting… Uh, It's it's, it's not really there. uh, That's in the Greek, okay? Actually, (laughs) he says, provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything to enjoy. So here's our problem. We forget, next fill in the blank, it is a gift. We forget it's a gift. And so what we do, and this is the essence of sin, is that we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve created things more than the creator. We find more pleasure in created things than we do in the creator. Created things are more glorious and beautiful and attractive to us than the creator. That's sin. Now, how do I know the good things have become the good things in my life? Now, when I say good things, I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking about our kids. I'm talking about vacations. I'm talking about money in the bank. I'm talking about our cars, our homes, how do I know that those good things have become God things? They become ultimate things in our life. Nothing wrong with good things. Problem is, is when those good things become God things, ultimate things. In other words, we love those things more than we love God. We try to get from those things what we should be getting from God. It's called idolatry. So so how do we know that's happening? Well, here's, here's how I'm able to see it in my own life. I do a little soul-searching and intellectual, you know, uh, thinking, emotional, intelligence kind of thing, kind of saying, okay, what dominates my thoughts, what stirs my deepest emotions, <clears throat> what moves me to action, what motivates my life? So if I find myself getting more upset over my favorite team losing than the fact that my neighbor is going to be lost for all eternity, there's something wrong with that picture. Would you agree with that? Like I'm more concerned about something that's temporal and created as opposed to the creator and what he has for me. So I look at my thought. What dominates my thoughts? What stirs my emotions? What moves me to action? Do created things kind of dominate my life as opposed to the Creator? How about this? Do good times lead to spiritual indifference and bad times lead to despair? That would would be evidence. See, one of the things that I'm able to identify in my life is that it's okay to be sad over the loss of a good thing. We're going to lose a lot of good things, second law of thermodynamics. We're going to lose everything eventually. It's okay to be sad but when I find myself in this category of despair over the loss of temporal things, created things, and I'm inconsolable in that despair, what that's telling me in my heart is that I've taken a good thing and turned it into an ultimate thing, and I'm trying to get from that, ult- that, that good thing what I should be getting from God. It's kind of helping me to see, ah, this is all good. Problem is I'm clinging to these created things more than I'm clinging to God. And I think it's important. Part of a biblical worldview is realigning with that. Now, so what do I do? What I do is replacement, rejoicing in the face of idols. Replacement, rejoicing in the face of idols. Replacement, idols can't be removed, only replaced. You're going to worship something or someone, something's going to be at the center of your life. So you have to replace that idol with God. So replacement, idols can't be removed, only replaced. Rejoicing, they are replaced by rejoicing in something or someone we love more, in the face of idols, I look to God to give to me what I'm trying to get from the idol. So if I'm in despair, I go, wait a minute, that's not my identity, that's not my security, that's not my pleasure, my ultimate pleasure in life, it's it's God. So I pull my heart, I gotta pull my heart off of that and put it on God and find comfort and security and contentment and completeness in God. So, so what happens if you have this balance between goodness and gift of creation? The goodness, but it's a gift of creation. You can enjoy creation or created things, but they don't control you. You can walk away from them and live a full life without them because you have the creator regardless of what goes down in your life. In fact, here's the next point. The greatest pleasure is in God, not from God. The greatest pleasure is in God, not, not from God. James 1, 16 and 17, Psalm 63, 3, it says His steadfast love is better than anything in life. Having Him in your life is better than anything that He could ever give to you. Psalm 63, 5, he, he, the psalmist says, my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. Yeah, the fat and rich food, whoo, it's good, but He satisfies me more than that. That's just an analogy as he's using here. Psalm 73, 25, and 26, uh, whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. So think about this just for a moment. Whatever beauty, glory, pleasure you find in created things or in creation is a dim glimpse of the beauty, glory, and pleasure you'll find in the Creator. It's even more. I mean, there's a lot of glory, beauty, and pleasure in a sunset, sunrises, you know, eating your favorite dessert. Oh, my goodness. But all that saying is that that's a gift from God and a pointer back to God who is even more glorious, more satisfying. So don't confuse that. It's important to to always always keep that in mind. Here's a verse. I didn't put it on your notes. You can put it there. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So so let me teach you how to do something here real quick. So we celebrated my son's birthday on Friday night, and he wanted German chocolate cake. I love German chocolate cake, especially with really good quality ice cream on top. So you remember that diet I said I was working on, staying away from sweets? Well, I kind of blew it on that one. I did good. I didn't overeat. But let me teach you how to eat German chocolate cake with a big old scoop of ice cream on top of it for the glory of God. You guys ready for that? Anybody? Some of you just start picking up your notes and started writing notes. You weren't taking notes the whole time, and now you're going to start taking notes because you think this is really valuable. <laughs> I want to do that! Okay, I'm going to teach you. This, is how you. this is how you eat German chocolate cake with ice cream on it to the glory of God. As you're eating it, mmm, you don't let your adoration, praise, and glory terminate on the cake, you let it roll on up to the creator of every good and perfect gift. From where that cake comes from, ultimately, it's God. He gives us these things for our joy and enjoyment. You guys tracking with me? So it becomes a worship experience unless you have a second helping kind of throws the worship right out. You're worshiping your body and your taste buds at some point. You're like,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so I don't know where it is. It differs with all of us. But there's a line I'm, I'm sure that after a while it's like, ah, I'm worshiping the wrong thing here. i got to stop. But, I mean, you can turn sunset, sunrises, you know, watching your favorite football team, whatever, whatever it might be, you can do it to the glory of God. By letting it roll on up and say, God, thank you. Thank you for this day. This morning, I got up early and made breakfast. And as I was eating my breakfast, drinking my coffee, I was like, ooh, this is good. Thank you, Lord. I mean, if you started doing that more and more, man, you're going to really… And as Christians, we should be able to enjoy creation more than anybody else because we know who created it. We have a relationship with the Creator. We can enjoy Him while we're enjoying His gifts but not confusing His gifts from… From him realizing, oh, my goodness, if this is this pleasurable, God, I know that you're even more pleasurable. You're even greater. Okay. woo, I'm getting a little bit too long here. i got to keep rolling because we got a number of things uh, going on. Here's the next one. What is true about people? We are image bearers of God. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make man in our image in our likeness. There is a statue of Jerry Colangelo outside of the GCU arena. And I saw that last time we were over there. I don't know Jerry Colangelo personally, but I've seen him around, and evidently he's a big donor, or he really blessed that, uh, that campus in a lot of ways, so they built a, a statue to honor him, and I was able to recognize, oh, that's Jerry Colangelo, and I knew that. Images are erected to display the original, to point to the original, to glorify the original. God made humans in His image so that the world would be filled with images of God. Seven billion walking, talking statues of God. Is that crazy? So that no one would have an excuse and miss the point of humanity. What's the point of humanity? Knowing, loving, and showing God. We are all, both male and female. Verse 27 of our text image bearers of God. Everyone has rock solid, objective, irreducible, and intrinsic glory and honor. I believe this is more important than anything else you'll ever achieve or accomplish in life. That you have, that being an image bearer of God, you have objective, solid, rock-solid, objective, irreducible, intrinsic glory and honor. This has a great impact on our self-image and how we treat people. It tells us in Genesis 9, 5 through 6 that being a sinner, no matter how far, how low you've, you know, you've gone in sinfulness, that that doesn't take away the fact that you are still an image bearer of God. You still have honor and glory upon you because You still reflect God. Being a sinner doesn't mean we have ceased to be in the image of God. James 3, 9, this is kind of a hard hitter. With it, that is our mouth, our words, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Here's the point. To disdain, to curse, to despise, to be hateful toward anyone is to insult the one whose image they bear. It'd be like going to... Uh, over on the campus, the college campus, and defacing Jerry Colangelo's image, tearing it down, destroy it. But it's even more more significant because we're walking, talking, image bearers of God, and when we do that to a human being, we disdain, curse, despise, we're hateful, is to insult the one in whose image they bear. See, the image of God is why we contend for the sacredness of human life, from conception to natural birth. It's why we oppose abortion and stand up for the unborn. By the way, there's a class coming up after the first year by Dale and Teresa Kroll, uh, Sanctity of Life. I encourage everybody to go through that life. It's a powerful class. The image of God disallows prejudice of any kind. Human worth is not based on race, ethnicity, economic status, social standing, or physical attractiveness. The image of God is why we do not ignore the needs of the widow or the orphan and those trapped in poverty, trafficking, and homelessness. And yet, all over this globe, we trample on the image of God in one another. It's insane. Why is that? We do that in direct proportion to how it is broken in us. Here's the answer. It's the next couple fill in the blanks here. It's broken in us because we don't understand community with God and others is indispensable. And that community with God starts with God. He's the initiator of this community. It is it's not good for man to be alone, Genesis 2.18. And then what does that mean? Well, Jesus gave us really the definition of true greatness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So He's the initiator of this relationship. He sent His Son to to rescue us, to redeem us, to reconcile us, and so we receive His love. And to the degree that you experience and receive His love is to the degree that you're going to love God in response and love your neighbor as yourself. We were meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day, as you will see next weekend as we talk about the third chapter of Genesis. We were meant to walk in the garden of the cool of the day and to look into the face and the heart of our creator and receive all the glory and honor that we would ever need to fill us up and then out of that to live our life. The problem is, is that we, we rebelled against a holy righteous God. That spiritual alienation created a psychological alienation within us. What is that psychological alienation? Glory and honor hungry. It empties us of His glory and honor, and then we try to get it from people. And we try to get it through our jobs and our marriages and our relationship, what we should be getting from God. And when we don't get it, we trample on the image of God in other people in direct proportion to how we have not received it from God. He wants to fill our hearts up with glory and honor, so out of that abundance, then we're able to share that with others. But because we're desperate, we're empty, we're glory-hungry, we're trying to fill up the emptiness, and don't you get in my way because this is important to me, this is what makes me feel like my life has meaning and purpose and glory. Because we don't understand this, community with God and others is indispensable fact, it's fascinating. John chapter 13, Jesus is with his disciples, and it's just before he's going to be hanging on the cross, and just before he's going to wash their feet to show true servant leadership. And these knuckleheads, they're they're arguing about who's the greatest. What? I mean, they're trampling on the image of God and one another. Disciples are arguing over who is the greatest because they didn't realize the greatness they already had in Christ, all the glory and honor they would ever need. Having a little bit more than others is nothing compared to the wealth that we have in Christ. They were trampling on the image of God in each other because, here's your next fill in the blank, they were working for their identity rather than from it. So rest, rest leads to our work. We are to work from, not for our identity, from our identity, from that fullness you understand this that, that if I rebel against a holy, righteous God, and from Him I'm supposed to receive all the glory and honor, fill my heart up, but if I walk away from that, my heart is empty, and therefore everything else becomes a means to an end. I become self centered. Self-centeredness makes everything, my marriage, my job, I'm working to try to fill the emptiness inside rather than to function out of abundance, I'm functioning out of deficit, neediness. Therefore, that's what creates the trampling on the image of God in others. It says in in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, We see God resting on the seventh day, establishing a Sabbath standard for mankind. In verse 15, the man was placed in the garden to work it and keep it. So our work is to come out of our rest, and our rest, Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 12, 8. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so what we know about Jesus is that in Philippians, it says that he emptied himself of glory and honor so that we could be filled up with his glory and honor. And when we're filled up with his glory and honor, we're able to empty ourselves to help others to experience the glory and honor that only Christ can bring. You guys tracking with me? That's critical. Oh, my goodness. That's how he's created us. That's according to his design. So Sabbath rest is about refilling ourselves with the glory and honor that can only come from him. So that's, that is really, really important. Now, i got to finish it up. We're way over time, and I say that unapologetically, okay? Because there's a lot of good stuff here, and I, I want to finish up. I want, you to, I want you to get this last part. What is true about marriage? Okay, what is true about marriage? So we finish that up. What is true about marriage? God designed marriage as a lifelong covenant relationship between a biological man and a biological woman. The Bible's very clear about that. Jesus affirms this definition. He affirmed that. And I believe that Jesus is God, and He… He lived the life and died the death and resurrected on the third day to prove that. Now, history begins with a wedding party. Jesus' ministry begins with a wedding party, and history ends with a wedding party. So so weddings are significant in that they point to the gospel. The profound mystery of this divine institution called marriage helps us to understand the gospel, and the gospel gives us the power to be either married or unmarried. Well, here's your first fill-in-the-blank under this idea. Without a deeply fulfilling relationship with God, you will either be poorly married or poorly single. So it all goes back to God. Lonely, insecure people become lonely, insecure married people. So identity in anyone or anything other than Christ is essentially unstable. Both marriage and singleness are gifts from God, 1 Corinthians 7, 27 through 31. So don't don't over-desire or under-desire marriage. If God has marriage for you, great. If he doesn't, great. Be okay with that. The most contented person who ever walked the earth was single and never had sex. It was Jesus. So don't force people into marriage relationships. They don't have to be married to be complete or anything like that. That's insane. That's dumb, dumb thinking. It's not biblical. It's not a biblical worldview. Human romance is a glorious experience, but even the best is a gift from God and a pointer to the ultimate experience of knowing God's love. Here's the next one. Marriage is to be a reenactment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 22 through uh, 33 makes, makes that very clear. Let me just focus on one aspect of this. The secret of a great marriage is to do for your spouse what God has done for you in Jesus, and the rest will follow. I don't know if you notice at the very end of our reading, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, and the man and woman were both naked and felt no shame. I'm not talking physical nakedness as much as it's just really an emotional and relational authenticity and realness. Yeah, the physical is part of that, but it's much more, much more than that. And it's, but it's out of this understanding. Jesus' sacrificial love for you is both the pattern and the power for you to sacrificially love your spouse. That's what it's about. So, so modern people, the culture we live in, would say the purpose of marriage is to make me happy. Really? That sounds like selfish love. It is. Selfish love goes like this. I'll be the kind of spouse I should be if and to the degree you'll be the spouse you can be. Or if and to the degree you'll be the kind of spouse you should be. My needs are more important than the relationship is what it's saying. I negotiate terms that benefit me, very self-centered, conditional. It's a consumer relationship. That's why marriages don't last today. But let's take it from selfish love to how about sacrificial love? That's what God wants for us. I'll be the kind of spouse I should be whether or not you're the spouse you should be. The relationship is more important than my personal needs. I negotiate terms to benefit you. It's very other-centered, unconditional, and covenant. Now, why in the world would anybody have that kind of relationship? Because Jesus gave me spousal love like that. He loved me not because I was lovely, but in order to make me lovely. Therefore, I'll do the same for you. See, that's that's that sacrificial love. And by the way, these kind of relationships need to have a truckload of repentance and forgiveness. By the way, if you're in a relationship and yours is all sacrificial love and theirs is selfish love, don't let them get away with that. I'm telling you. True love forgives the most, enables the least. You're going to hold them them accountable. Say, hey, I need some sacrificial love here. That would be healthy. You want to balance that out. Otherwise, you're being exploited, maybe even abused in some form or fashion. So there needs to be that balance in that relationship. Here's the last point. We're finished. Just in time. As the marriage goes, so goes the family and society. Why does the topic of marriage show up so early in the book of Genesis? Because as the marriage goes, so goes the family, and as the family goes, so goes society. Satan's assault on the institution of marriage shouldn't surprise us. He's coming after us, the foundational part of our community, and that's the institution of marriage and family. I don't have time to elaborate that. Next weekend, we're going to talk about the fall. The problem, we're going to see why is this place a mess? What's going on in my own heart? And we'll look at that, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Uh, I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got any questions, I'd love to answer those questions for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment. If you're here, you've never made a confession of faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a beautiful morning for you to do that. How do you do that? By prayer, through faith in Christ, you acknowledge that your sins separate you from God, believe that Christ died in your place for your sins and confess Him as Lord and Savior. I'd invite you to do that. And then come up front and let us know. We'd love to celebrate that with you. If you're a believer in Christ, let me just ask you this question. In what area or areas of your life do you need to realign with the biblical worldview? What, if any, of these points struck a nerve within you? What is God speaking to you? What do you need to do? How can you respond so that you can begin to or continue to build your house upon the rock by not just hearing but also doing God's word so that you can storm-proof your life? What is God speaking to you? God, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. We love you. We worship you. Lord, help us to to continue to realign our lives with your word by, by hearing it and obeying it, implementing it into our lives. May it become a part of our biblical worldview, changing everything about us. Father God, we were designed to know you, love you, and show your beauty and glory. And when we are faithful to that design, that purpose, we flourish. Help us now to be faithful to all that we have learned today, we pray in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. Love you guys.